Hello and welcome to episode 134 of The Game Pit. I'm Sean, and finally, the two massive craniums are back together. <laughs> I didn't know where you're going with massive, man. Too massive. Insert word here. That's a competition for us to run. Hey, hey everybody. Ronan here. Next to Stranger Sean, it's been months. It really has. It really has. I think but I've forgotten how to do this. We've kind of, yeah, we've kind of not been playing that much kind of summer's got in the way we've had lots of things to do work and what have you it's, a lot of class A's a lot of class A's wake up and gutters <laughs> that's normal <laughs> yeah schedule conflicts and possibly lack of playing it's yeah. just been like I'd look through through my schedule plays let's start on a downbeat before we tell everyone what we're doing we're doing a pit spit and we're going to talk about us and the cat apparently are going to talk about uh, 12 games that between us we've played we haven't played that many of them together they're going to be quick sort of reviews as we get in these pit spits so prepare yourself for that but thank you cat <laughs> that cat's about to get kicked out <laughs> What for you was one second was us a 10 minute battle with a cat anyway. Which, which Ronan lost. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> now the cat's owner's coming looking for it. This is mayhem. This is why we don't record anymore, Sean. Should we just give up now? Let's, let's just finish it. Finish it on the low. <laughs> that was part two of the cat fight and I'm still losing. Sean, you have to take over. Oh my God. I don't know how to take over. You've got the world's loudest cat. <laughs> Not very quick, but far too quick for us. <laughs> Fell over twice, broke a couple of toes, okay. Um, what have you been doing? Now, so I've been playing a few games. What I'll say is I'll look back through my recorded plays and... You have been playing a lot of... What's this computer game that I've forgotten? I'm going to finish my point and then get on to that. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> I, th- I didn't think I'd had a dip like this, but it looks like maybe about three years ago I also had a little bit of a... A couple of months of just like single figure plays for a couple of months just to do other things, lighten up. I think, especially doing all the videos and doing the podcast and playing a lot, having to play a lot, every now and then you just need a little break. And coming back into playing now, I am re enthused. Oh, are you now? I am. I've been enjoying coming and playing again, and I'm going to talk about some good and some bad good because you were getting quite miserable at that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was Sorry. I think the industry standard miserable is a lot more miserable than we've fair been enough, fair enough so what I've been playing a lot of is god I can't remember it's a you're a champions or heroes you're, or, terror, you're the worst I can't remember it. city of heroes city of heroes that's the one yeah the MMO super MMO died in 2012 was cruelly killed and it's not quite prime. And uh, it turns out someone had stolen all the code and was running a server, a private server for years. And that came out and people stole the code of them and spread it so widely that, that it can't get taken down now, presumably, because I've been playing it for a few weeks, a few months, and uh, yeah. I have three level 50s. and Three I'm, level 50s that's now, all, that's all. There was only two last time, yeah. sorry. <laughs> and another one at 48. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been playing a fair bit of that. And reconnecting with friends is the best thing that I've made friends in City Heroes uh, all those years ago. It launched, launched in 2004. So we played for eight years. And real life friends that we meet up and do stuff. And, you know, because the thing that holds you together, we haven't been doing it for a number of years. You maybe don't hang out quite as much. And then suddenly you're back spending time together every week. You know, a couple of times you'll see that person online and hang out and chat. And Yeah, yeah, no, I absolutely understand that. It's, it's the camaraderie in, in real life as well. And meeting up with them, going for a beer. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. The abuse. The go- abuse. It branches real life <laughs> and cyber life. I, t- I had a little tickle back in the original 
City Heroes with my Eviscerator. Eviscerator, yeah. Great hero name. Great hero. <laughs> <laughs> Emancipator and Eviscerator. We really were the best. We were the best. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was. You were mean. Was terrible. <laughs> the awesome power of hover. I, I could hover like, <laughs> like, like no one's business, all right? <laughs> and it is no one's business. Anyway, City of Heroes. So, have you ever thought of playing it or used to play it and you didn't know it? it's back? And... It's it's got new content and there's loads of people playing and it's completely 100% free and if you just Google how to play City of Heroes it's all there it's a couple of downloads and, and you're laughing but yes let's get on to actual board games that we may, may <laughs> or we? may not have been playing <laughs> we have we've played all of these at least sometimes well no I, I think I've played most of mine quite quite a few there's a couple of yours that were like quite uh, words are hard. Words are hard. That's not podcast. Well, words are hard. <laughs> Quite hard to research in terms of not a lot of people had played one of yours. I'm living on the edge. You are living on I'm the edge. I'm right out there reaching into. Yeah, we, we, these are not well. Not a lot of big releases. Not a lot no. of the bars or the hotness. Well, there is one. There's one. Yeah, huge but release. like Lord of the Rings, Journeys in Middle Earth turned up. That's not in here. Midara's turned up. That's not here. Dark Domains. That's not in here. Those are reviews that are coming. But these are sort of some things we've been playing that may be lighter, quicker generally. And we're just going to... And the first game that we're going to cover that you're going to lead us into is definitely one that we've both played. It is. We played it together at Aircon. At Aircon. Maybe. Yes. Because my memory's a bit shaky. We did. We did definitely, yes. (laughs) I don't know why my memory's a bit shaky about Aircon. (laughs) Anyway, it's Quacks of Quedlinburg. Wolfgang Varsh, Schmidt Spiel... It's each player is a quack doctor back in the Renaissance times, back in the day, whatever it may be. And you're going to a nine day fair and you're all attempting to make a potion each day. And the way you're going to make that potion is everyone's got their own bag of chits. You all start with the same chits and you draw from them and you place them around a spiral and the chits have different values. And the value of the chit is how many spaces you move. There are, you start with a load of these white ones, these cherry bombs, and if you draw more than seven value of them, your potion's going to explode and you must stop there. If you stop before that, you get a bonus in that once we go through the round, as far around the spiral you've got is going to dictate how much money you have to spend to buy more chips to put into your bag and also your score points, depending on how far you got round. But you can only do one of those two things if your potion's blown up. So it's a bit of a a bit of a hindrance, much worse towards the end of the game when you're scoring more points and you don't get to take them than it is at the beginning. You just lose out on a couple of points here and there. So the more you get around the spiral, the more money you have. There are different colours of chits, and each of those chits has got different powers. And there's actually four sets of powers for each of the different colours. So there's lots of variety within the game, although it recommends you play with a whole set at a time. So chapter one, two, three, or four. But you can mix and match if you're feeling crazy with a K Ooh. and an EE maybe. <laughs> maybe a backward Z. Uh, what would backward Z just look like a Z? No, it wouldn't, would it? I need to think about that. You think about that. I'll think about that while you carry on. Okay, good. Let's do that. (laughs) So, and then, so what sort of powers have you got? You've got these orange ones that are the basic ones that just obviously dilute the number of whites in your bag. But then you've got red ones, and this is the base set of powers I'm talking about. The more oranges you've played out already, the reds will move further along. There's greens that if they're in the last couple that you draw out and you stop, you get a bonus. If you have purples you get to move along your water drop where you start so you'll start further along the spiral 
There are spaces where you stop on the spot where you get rubies and you can use those to, to again push your drop around so you get a head start when you're playing or to flip over your flask because you can use a flask to put a white back and there's different things you can do to manipulate your bag in different colours and more colours come into play as you go through the rounds. Beginning of each round also a fortune teller card gets flipped over so that's going to mess with the rules here and there. And going into it Sean from the presentation of it being a Renaissance, medieval, European, your quack doctors, that theme, the description of it, and the fact it was just called a push-your-luck game, I wasn't very interested. I wasn't interested at all. Well, oh, are you one up to me then? I, I, me. <laughs> I was quite interested by the theme. I like the thought of being this little quack doctor and sort of making your potions. And that's your whole career, basically. It is, yeah, pretty much. A sham. A sham. Mockery of a sham. And then I started looking at the game and I, I just didn't like the look of that, the, the main board where you're laying out your, your various potion... Um, chits. 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 I just said it like 28 times. I know, I know. Chit. You don't want to get confused with anything else. So we're laying out your chits and it looks thoroughly boring. It looks puzzle-like from afar. Does it? It does. Good to know. Okay. Yeah, and you brought it out. It was the first game we played at Aircon, if if my memory serves me correctly. I was fresh with the zest for all things gaming, having just arrived at Aircon and... Not being as hungover as I probably was the the day, the day before. <laughs> this is getting confusing already. <laughs> and I was very surprised, Brennan. Yeah, I went for it because there was so much good vibing. I was feeling it in the air and there was lots of word of mouth. And it wasn't really instant hype. When the game came out, it was sort of that hype that builds, that grows, that always I'm more interested wasn't in. Wasn't Wolfgang Walsh the guy that did the mind? <laughs> yeah, we so, did, didn't. Did you not slate that game enough last time? In that never mind that. We we'll get not, to that next episode. Not a game. Not a game. <laughs> not, the not a game. The mind. Yeah. Mm. So I think other that opinions exist. Quacks initially benefited from the popularity of that, but then it kind of took on a life of its own, which made me more interested in. I it. see a life of its own, and having played it, Sean. It's really good. It is. You wouldn't put any <laughs> stock in any strategy or anything like that. Oh, take it back. You can you can play poorly. If everyone's playing well. You can yeah, you can set yourself up to play really poorly or really well, but you're still going down to basic luck. I don't think I played any better than you or Natalie. I just had ridiculous ever. luck. Ever. <laughs> I just had ridiculous luck with that game. I just did not pull out any whites at all. I was pulling out all my combinations and everything. And I, I think I ended up sailing to a victory, which was brilliant for me. Yeah, I, I don't want to overplay the luck in it. I, I think you do have to come up with a plan. If you just put random stuff in your bag, you're not going to win. If you put stuff that's not going to work together, you're not going to win. You have to think about what you're putting in your bag. Oh, 100%. And how that all goes, and, and which of the... And there's a few routes, I think, with each set of chits, which you can do, not endless, but a few. You have to think about one and say, right, that's what I'm going for. I'm heading in that direction. And then hope it comes off. Yeah. And and that is where the fun factor comes, comes into it. It's not mindless fun. It's mindful fun. You're just saying the word mind a lot. Are you I aware am. of that? I am. Was your it's my word, it's my word of the, you know I pick a word of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're traumatized. You're not going to mind if I carry on. Okay. 
I, I would have thought from a description and hearing about it, I thought the richer you're going to get richer here because the better you do earlier, the more points you get, the more you get to spend, so you're getting better chits into your bag. There's a clever rat tail system yes. in that counting from the leader backwards on the points track, every cup, two or three, depends on where you're on the board, spaces backwards that you are, you get a rat's tail, which means that you start another space further along your spiral. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of actual mathematically how much that balances it, I haven't a clue. In terms of the feel, which is more important to me because I'm simple, <laughs> it feels like I'm not getting absolutely trashed because of poor luck. It early. does, yeah. If you've had a bad round, you know that you're going to get that little leg up at the end. and Everyone likes a leg up. Everyone does like a leg up. <laughs> they do, don't they? Okay. <laughs> do you want to summarise for us on Quacks and Quedlinburg? So for me, Quacks was a game, as I said, it wasn't anything I was particularly excited to play. But what I found, it was just a, a thoroughly fun experience with a little bit of thinking in there. You can chain things together. The things that you can, when it does come off, it's it's very gratifying. And there's lots. it's one of those games with lots of groans and moans and whoops and hollers, if you're doing well, obviously. And it's something that brings other people to come and watch you playing, which is always a good sign in the game. But I thoroughly enjoyed my games of Quacks of Quedlinburg. It's super quick to me for what you're doing because you're making decisions all the time. I find it to be very smooth, but not bland. We had brand new gamers around last week, and this was the first game we got out. And the first thing they said was, please don't make it a 10-minute long rules explanation. And that was like the limits if they could think of was a rules explanation would be 10 minutes. <laughs> so I put the coin game away <laughs> and I got this out. And in the first round, they didn't even want the fortune teller cards. They were like, that's how new they are to games. They're like, oh, no, no, don't change it. We just like, you just taught us the rules. <laughs> and then second round, they were still like, oh, no, no, not ready for it. Third round, got the fortune teller cards in. By the fourth and fifth rounds, they were analysing the chits better than Rachel and I were. They were like, you got that over this. Oh, you're going for greens, I'm going for purples. Because it lends itself so yeah. well to that. Everything is there, on view, easy to see. Surprisingly, I highly recommend Quacks of Quillenberg. Okay. Really is a, one of the finds of last year for me. And coming to a table and a podcast soon will be uh, Wolfgang Walsh's follow-up, which is the Taverns of Tal which I've picked up and I've played quite a few times and I'm eager for Roland to play because I like his opinion. Mm, okay. So that'll be coming soon. So moving on but to our next Calling game. that his follow-up, and there are like 82 follow-ups. Maybe, but that's the follow-up that I know. I think there's like eight to Wolfgang Varsh's. The Wolfgang Varsh studio inspired by. The next game is a Kickstarter that I backed, Shock Horror, and it's coming from La Boite de Dieu, designed by Herve Regal, and it's Netta Tanker. In Netta Tanker, you are the village leader, who is the Netta Tanker. And the village leader is in the twilight of life, and it's time to choose a new person to take over the tribe. So you as a player, you are going to be going around the village doing good deeds. Is, is the king dead? We need a new king. Yeah, pretty much. Right. <laughs> We're not dead. He's not dead. <laughs> well, she's not dead. They're stepping down. Stepping down, right. And we are going to do <laughs> do good deeds to provide for our village to become the Netta Tanker. Now, this is a worker placement game, Ronan. And very simply, you're going to gather resources to provide food for the village, to provide shelter for the village, and to build up your the village totem poles. So that's essentially the ways you're going to score in the game. So what it is, as I said, essentially, is a very basic worker placement. And But the twist in Anetta Tanker, Ronan, is that 
you have connecting lines between each worker placement space and connecting lines also have rewards placed on them. So if you get your color on either side of the connecting line, you're gonna get the reward in the middle as well. So there's a tactical edge to, to place in your workers. It's not just going for what you need, it's trying to get the most out of your placements. And that, in a nutshell, is what Netatanka brings. It's a very beautiful production. How much do you know about it, Roland? Nothing before you broke it down <laughs> on our list of 12 games here. Just the name sort of flies by Wendaki, Netatanka, whoever many <laughs> There's been a, a, a few that have been based around this sort of a theme, and they appear to all have been 90-minute Euros. And they and a lot of them you're collecting food for your tribe and yeah. none of them are for me are particularly standing out. Now I haven't played any of them, I haven't grabbed any of them. So when that happens, it's it's like sci fi space games, you know, that all come out within six months of each other. Yeah, no, I get that. Beat a colony and whatever, whatever, they all just go, oh, you're all the same game to my head because I'm simple. So it does seem to come down to entirely that twist off exploiting the spaces between work placement spaces from my research. Yeah. Does it work? I think it does. That was a pause, by the way. <laughs> it works with... Well, actually, I think the two-player game actually works. Now, don't, well. now I've got three sorry. points to make, and you're cutting out one. Uh, sorry. Okay, sorry, sorry. In the two-player game, Sean, <laughs> the each player plays with two colours of meeples. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Y- yes, it, it does work. Whether it's interesting enough for someone like yourself, who's... A seasoned gamer, and you're looking for something new quite often. I'm not sure. For myself, I really, really like worker placement games. I really like that economy of building things up and spending it. I like the twist in this one is that some of the worker placement spaces, you're going to gather things for yourself, but then there's a path, and you have to walk that path to, to provide the resources for the next person to come along. So you're going to go walk along a path to the woods. So if you take all the wood, mm-hmm. you must go, because you're providing for the village, mm-hmm. you must go into the forest the next turn. So you're wasting a worker to go and provide more wood in that action space. Okay. But it's a very lucrative space to get all that wood because you're building your totem poles, you're building your crafting goods, etc. And there's another one where you're going out to kill a buffalo and you're supplying the meat do that, to, feed, <laughs> to feed to feed the tragedy and uh, and the skins to build your your teepees. It, it sounds like a thematic way of saying it's a double worker space. Yeah, pretty much. Which would be yeah. nice to tie the type, the yeah. theme into it. I'm not dissing that, but that, but in effect, that's what it is. I think it's how much people sort of realise that these these extra action spaces are are there. If you ignore it and you just go and do your own thing, the game kind of peters out into mediocrity. Mm-hmm. But when people are actually fighting for those spaces, like animal skulls are very, very rare, and it's quite hard to get them. And one of those, there's only two spaces on the board where you can get the animal skulls. And one of those is one of those connecting spaces. So you, you do tend to get a little bit of battle around that, and that's when the game kind of takes off a little bit above the norm for me. I feel like no one would ever get that animal skull reference. <laughs> You've gone where? Dink. You don't even need that. I know. I know. Okay. The third of my incredible three-point uh, laser beam analysis of this game is there are two sides to the board. Tell me if I'm wrong. 
there are summer and winter summer being more basic and winter being a bit more fruity shall we say a bit more fruity yes and from my favourite BGG comments area I've got some for you later (laughs) (laughs) I have gleaned that that summer side may be a misstep in that it is a bit too basic and the winter side is the is the gamer's side of it and because it's a Kickstarter, because it's not a big release, because it's from Bois du Jeu, mm-hmm. they really should have just gone with maybe just the gamer side. Yeah, I think that's probably right. What the winter side does is exactly what I just said. It forces you to really think about getting those extra bonuses, and it makes you do that on a sort of more regular basis. You can't just go off and get one thing because you are going to fall behind if somebody's picking up four items because you, you've not interrupted their little chain of, mm-hmm. of uh, bounty. So definitely it forces you to think more about that. So if you're... I don't know if you are going to recommend it. I haven't played it. If that's not clear, it should have been. Start on the winter side. Don't worry about the summer side. I think learn the game on the summer side, just to pick up what what you're doing and what the extra spaces are going to do for you and learn some of the intricacies in terms of you you must leave your meeple on the, on certain spaces and they have to go and do the extra bits I mentioned but once you've learned the game definitely flip it over to the winter side and that's where the heart of the game lies now as for whether I recommend it or not I think it's just about fine for me and Natalie. We don't like too much aggressive play. We we like to sort of go away and do our own thing. I think maybe for, let's, I always mention like the lobster collars, the Lloyd yourself, Poria. I think maybe. Hateful bitter people. The hateful bitter people. Yeah. I think maybe you'd play a couple of games, quite enjoy it, but move on. Okay, not one to avoid, but maybe not one for us to seek out. That's that's the feeling I'm getting. The feeling I'm getting, actually. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right, game number three is one that Sean has not played, and for a very good reason, because it is a solo-only enterprise, and it is Black Sonata. In Black Sonata, the player is chasing a mystery lady through Elizabethan London, which is the London of your youth, Sean. It is. God bless it. <laughs> Strike a light. God blimey. <laughs> and you get a little bored with the game. It's a map of London with certain locations from central London there, like Cheapside and St. Paul's and London Bridge and what have you, mm-hmm. where we've all done pub crawls through all those areas and it brings back fond, fond memories. <laughs> anyway, each of these locations has got one, two, three or four symbols on there. For each game that you play, you're going to arrange a deck of cards, and the deck of cards have all got letters on them in different spaces, and you can set them up in a variety of different things, and there's easy setup and normal and hard, and you just basically arrange them according to, to the letters, according to how you're told to, and there's lots of different setups in the book. Now, the back of the cards show a location symbol, and what you do is you take the top card and you reveal the next one, and it shows that the black lady is now on a location that has that symbol related to it. So if it's a church, for example, then she's going to be at St. Paul's or at Bishop's Gate or at Southwark, because I think those are the three areas that have got churches on them. So you know she's at one of those three. Mm-hmm. Right. Your action then is to either move from where you are, because you're a little pawn on the board, or you can guess, or you can use a fog power, which we'll talk about in a second. Now, the fact is you can't move and guess on the same turn. So you have to anticipate where the lady's going to be going. You have to try and guess what her path is and work out, oh, she's going, you know, below the river. She's heading west. So maybe I'll head around to cut her off. Oh, she's cut back again. Okay, I'm going to go here. 
And part of it, certainly on the first run through the deck, because you can run through the deck up to three times of these, is to try and anticipate where she might be, try and get a little bit lucky, and then if you think she is where you are, you make a guess. You take that card with the symbol on, you put the location card of where you are, there's a little hole in it, you flip it over, and if you can see a little uh, silhouette off the lady's head, then you've guessed correctly, and you've got a clue as to who she is, you don't know who she is yet. The way that works is there's a deck of cards, there's 10 or 12, depending on how hard you want to make it, and there are five or six suits. And you'll know the suit of the lady you're pursuing, but you'll take a clue card and it will tell you the three characteristics of this lady, of this clue that you've just found, and how many of those characteristics this lady shares with the lady you're trying to find. And as you get more clues, by process of elimination, you're then going, okay, so she must share music because all of these, while you're doing the maths off, shares two of three, shares none of three. So she, if this card shares no characteristics with her, I know those three of the possible eight can't be on her card, so I can dismiss them. But then from working out, that's two of three, that's two, that's two of three, that's the only one they share, must be music. And then you work out the three characteristics of the lady you're actually chasing. Then you must find her one more time. And when you find the last time, you say, these are the three characteristics. You flip over the card, and if you've got the three characteristics right, you've won the game. And if you haven't, you haven't. The other ways you can fail is if you go through the deck too many times, or there are these fog cards that I mentioned. Every time you guess where the lady is, she flees, whether you're right or wrong. And a fog card comes in, and the card that you used to guess goes out. Meaning the next time you go through the deck, you'll have a location symbol, then at least one fog card, and then another location symbol. So it makes it slightly harder, because you don't know exactly what the, what the space was in between. Although if you can try and remember your way through, which certain people have done, some people take notes, which seems a bit cheaty, but anyway, if you can try and remember where she was going, oh, I think she went south at London Bridge, London Bridge is missing, all right, but I know that was London Bridge, so this is where she must be. And you're trying to deduce her path around the city as you go through these three times through the deck. Is this making sense? Yeah, but I would know who it is. It's Mavis from the Barrow Boy in Banker. <laughs> is it? It the is. Bar- <laughs> that Barrow Boy in Banker, anyway. <laughs> Great pie shot. And that's what you're doing. Uh, the fog card actions are, if you come to a fog card, you can flip it over and use it rather than doing a move or a guess. But some of them are, they almost seem to hinder you. So I've never felt the need to do that. So to me, there's either move or guess as the actions. <laughs> there it is. And I was a bit, intrigued by the idea it was a print and play from board game geek it was well received the thing about well received print and play is that it's judged by the standards of being a free print and play and a lot of times i find that when these games go to the market and it's usually by kickstarter nowadays possibly game crafter they are then judged by a different set of standards because they're being judged then against published games and the people have paid for it and they are more likely to focus on the flaws because you're looking for those sometimes in published games, then when they focus on the positives, because maybe you don't expect much from a print and play. So this well-received print and play has been thrown into the shark pool. Any questions before I go any further? Am I going mad, or is this to do with Shakespeare? It is to do with Shakespeare. In a bunch of his sonnets, Yeah, he mentions a dark lady, or they are in some way about a mysterious lady who he doesn't actually identify. So he doesn't actually mention a dark lady, I don't think. I think it's just the name people use for this muse or muses he had throughout his career Um, so what they've done is or the the guy who designed it has found 12 possible candidates who were around London or around him including his wife Anne Hathaway Mm -hmm. and the characteristics allegedly are actually like if it says she was into music she was into music this figure and you're trying to work out which of those 12 is the one that Shakespeare was writing about his, his unrequited love and what have you if it indeed was just one person 
or it was even Shakespeare. There you go. Yeah. yeah. A very different theme. I hadn't heard of this one. I had to search for it and <laughs> do some research into it just to find out what it was about, Ronan. But I think the theme alone, and I do like me a, a mystery, that had me interested. And it does give the feel of chasing something elusive in a good and a bad way because <laughs> you're kind of swimming around in the dark and if you hit her early, it's because you've made a good guess. Sometimes you can narrow it down to one space, but that's just pure logic. It's pure, that's the only space you can be in following that sequence of moves. Yeah. So that's, But sometimes you're like, oh, it's here or it's there. Do I wait one more and make a guess, or do I take the guess now that she's here, giving you a limited amount of guesses to, to do? And then when you do that, it actually sometimes feels better when you miss. And you flip it over and she's not there, and you go, ah, oh, so that's where she was. And then she runs away one move. So you, you, you miss the move, the next move along, and then you're like, right, that's where she was. Now she could possibly be here or here. And then you feel like you're chasing after her again, trying to narrow her down. That bit of theme works thematically but is hit and miss in the beginning. You have to be prepared to accept that. How sort of simple or intuitive is it? Now, it's obviously, there's there's lots of rules to it, and it's got that kind of beige, foreboding colour that all games that are difficult to learn and get into have. That is a broad sweeping statement, <laughs> my friend. Wow. It's, it just, and it, it, when you start looking at the rules, and you know, you've got all these fog, and you're deciphering this, and you're deciphering that. But once I started thinking about it, in my mind, it started to flow and I felt that it would actually be quite an intuitive game. Once you get past the really very rough rule book, unnecessarily rough rule book, it just flows. It is a simple game and the rule book's got too many words in it and they're all in the wrong order. I played it twice and after the first two plays went on to BGG and stuff to make sure I was playing correctly because actually the point where I was thinking this is too simple all the rules I've just read can't possibly condense down to I've got a deck of cards in my hand and I'm just flipping over the next one and I'm moving my pawn or I'm not and then I flip over the next one I'm moving my pawn or not when I guess just pull a location card flip it over was it right or was it wrong yeah that's really it could be a six page rule book and to just be rewritten and clarified and it will be much much simpler when I start doing pit stops again, which hopefully is going to be in the next week or two, <laughs> Black Sonata is one of the ones that I intend to do because I believe that, all right, this is going to sound awful, but I believe that I can do a quick few-minute video and it will be, that's how you play the game. Almost don't worry about the rule book. And, and it's simple enough. You know, a lot of games I do a pit stop, it's just an overview. It's mm. just a reminder. Some of them that are very simple, it's this is how you play it. And yeah. I think this might be the same play it. You kind of pose the question anyway... Does this need to be out of the print-and-play form and into the ready-made, crafted arena, or should it have stayed just as strictly print-and-play? No, I think it's good enough to be published. I think it is good fun, but I think that it's not going to work for everyone. You're going to have to want to have that appeal of the theme and of the fact that you're running around. You're going to have to accept there's luck to it, but you're also going to have to accept the fact that it's solvable. And reading online because actually another reason I went online after my first couple of plays was I absolutely smashed it and I can't say that about many games but I just went got her got her got her got her so quickly again I was convinced I played it wrong mm. and when you look at the comments there's people going oh I've played this 10 times and I, and I cannot win and there's other people going I can't play this because I win it too easily 
And the, mm. there seems to be some sort of mindset there, whatever it is. And, you know, we talk about work and stuff, the fact that we work in facts, figures, sequences, numbers, getting trains and people at the right place at the right mm. time. Maybe that's part of it, that you have that sequential mind that goes ding, 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 ding. Mm. But playing on easy was an absolute cakewalk. Right. And so, yeah, I had to go to the harder settings. And if I'd reviewed this after playing two or three times on easy, I'd have given it a kick in. Yeah. Going to a harder setting where she doesn't move sometimes, so the symbol might be for the same place, yeah. or uh, she, she might skip on and stuff like that. That's where I found fun in it. Cool. So it, it's really a variable experience. It's very hard to recommend to any particular person because it's, do you like the theme? Do you like that sort of a chase? And how does your brain work? I think it's going to be one to try at a board game cafe by yourself. <laughs> or maybe go for a cup of coffee. I mean, why not go for coffee and read the newspaper, go for coffee and play it, borrow a friend's copy, try it out, and it might hook you and you might love it, or it might completely put you off. If it puts you off, it's too easy. Try a harder setting. I like it. I'm glad I got it. I don't love it. It's not going to stick around forever. Well, I've played it five times. I may well play it a handful more times mm-hmm. and then move on. So try before you buy. Uh, it might be for you. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a very personal thing. So it's not much of a review on that. Maybe the theme is helping the fact that I like it because it's in London and all the rest mm. of it. For me, yeah, decent. Glad I got it. So the next one is definitely going to... It starts off a run of games that have been in the pit before, but that I hadn't personally played. And this is La Granja or La Gronca. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and coming from Spielworks, uh, Michael Keller and Andreas Odendal. I reckon we covered this five years ago, so everyone's gone, well, we know what you think, because we remember it from well, five no, years Well, no, you ago. think, because I'd never played it. they're all going to be late. They'll probably re-listen to our episodes. Yeah, yeah, well, obviously. Religiously. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the rules, because we have covered it a couple of times. Five years ago, you could go through the rules a little <laughs> yeah. bit. So, <laughs> you got... So you're you're a farmer, and you are building up your farm. You're extending it. You're building yourself market barrows. You're getting helpers, and you're going to earn points by delivering goods to a local village, and <laughs> and that's me reading off the back of the box because there isn't a lot of theme to this, and I really I couldn't remember what the theme was. I knew I knew I was building a barn. <laughs> And I knew I was delivering stuff, but it, it turns out I'm building a barn and I'm delivering stuff. Yes, exactly. That's, so I could have gone with... You deliver to what, craft buildings or you take them to a market stall to sell them. That's right. And what a craft building is, it's slightly beyond me. Maybe everyone knits in there. The cat's back! The cat's back! Carry on with the growing but come here. You describe the game while I chase the cat around the room again. <laughs> Get out of your bollocks. So why am I bringing it up now, as, as I've given away already? I couldn't be more puzzled. <laughs> Ronan, Ronan was a big, big... He extolled the virtues of this game quite often, loud and proud, as he tends to do. Mm. Yeah, you, you, you used to claim you loved it. You used to say it was a really, really good game. And I always looked it on your shelf, and we always thought about playing it, but something else always caught our eye. You wouldn't play it, because you went, it sounds like Agricola, and I don't like Agricola. I do like Agricola. Yeah, now? Now I do, okay. Right, then, that's what you used to say. <laughs> well, it's a bit like Agricola. All right, six years ago. <laughs> and I've been sniffing around it. It's always been quite expensive. I picked it up very cheap at Aircon, and we, myself and Natalie played it a couple of times, and I have to say, Ronan, 
You were spot on. What a good game. I just love the balance between your personal player boards and balancing out the central player area. You have a, a wide variety of, of powers. You get, get cards and you choose how to use those cards is, is one of the I think it's industry standard on podcast to call it Glory to Rome style. Is it? I think so. I hate Glory to Rome. Yeah, but it's got the four different... <laughs> you can put it in, there's four different things in each four, card. Yeah, yeah. Multi-use cards. They can go top, right, bottom, left. They can be helpers or extensions to your fields or extension to your farm yeah. or barrows, which you fill to take to market. And lots of your ways... Your nodding is good podcasting. Yeah. I like and <laughs> lots of ways... To, to get to victory and lots of things to think about and do you do you finish off the roof of your barn do you do you create it's pricey more, it does get pricey towards the end certainly do you build more pens and have more animals or more vegetables do you use those special powers on the cards that are going to give you a boost very thinky game very bland in, in theming but what a great experience what a great mind workout. How effusive of you. It is, it is. You see, you made me roll it out again. And it had been several years since I played it because it is one of those games that sits on the shelf that you look at and you go, oh, that's a good game, I should play that. And two years later, you walk past it and go, oh, that's a good game, I should play that. And <laughs> all it's done is it gathered dust for you. So I rolled it out because you said you're going to play it. And I played it with Rachel, who doesn't remember having played it before. But, you know, that's a bone of contention. About <laughs> 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 well, a of contention anyway. And it's a really good experience. And it's a rock-solid Euro, and it's one that should be dragged back out more. I think it's slightly overlooked. It was very high-rated at the time, but it's one that's dropped away quicker than maybe other Euro games at the time that were highly rated. It's got that multi-use car thing. I think it is in the theme, and I think it's in the fact that it's all very beige and green and, and doesn't It is. The box does, doesn't stand out. It doesn't grab you. When your eyes are sort of cruising across the... The shelves. The You're often gonna cruising play. shelves, oh, aren't you? Cruising shelves. It's not the one that leaps out and goes hello. <laughs> um, and I mean, the designs themselves admitted that it's a blend of a bunch of games that stuck around, including Glory to Rome with the cards. The central market mechanism. It's written in the rule book. It's inspired by Luna, which has had the reprint, yeah, which yeah. is a very clever mechanism. Where you, great game. When you go in with a higher value stall, which is harder to fulfill, but you kick out everyone else's stalls mm-hmm. and you get points for doing it and they stop earning points for having those stalls. That's the same as happens in Luna Temple. And it, it pulls together very successful systems into a cohesive whole. Two-player, playing with Rachel... I felt the lack of board competition, especially around the stalls and open up the crafts. And when mm. someone got ahead in the craft building, they were going to get that one yeah. and the bonus for it. You weren't going to. That's okay because it was also super quick with two yeah. players. But there's also there's, there's other areas that you, that's not. If that was like the main part of the game and that was like the be all and end all, you go, okay, that really suffered. But there was, there's so much more to it. So yeah, no, it, it was just a little bit less competition than more players, yeah. which you kind of expect. You still got the whole your own puzzle. To me, coming back to it after a few years, nowhere near as heavy and thinky as I, as I remembered it being. A lot more tactical because the cards come and you've got to roll with whatever you get. And while you might have an overall plan and you might say, okay, I'm going to plant this Oliver Field and this, this vine because I want to fill that stall. The fact is if you get cards and you don't have them, although there are ways to mitigate, specifically getting um, trade goods, mm-hmm. very important to me because trade goods basically act as wilds. 
So you're always limited on what you can get. But if you've got a spare trade goods from trading, you can hand them in for whatever you're missing in almost any department of the game. So that was key to me playing it. But the cards come as the cards come and you have no control over that. And that's the bit that I felt was you had to be flexible, you had to be tactical. But you do have control over what you do with those cards. That's that, That's the thing that you do have control with. And what I did like about it, yeah, you, you do get the cards. And especially if you choose a card for the power, you do have to sort of maximise the effect of that power and sort of Yeah, because it's so few it. rounds. Yeah, you have to kind of go power it. early. Yeah. That's where I'm going. But if you go power early, that's where I'm going. You get unlucky on card draw. Um, am I being negative? Is that, you're about to hit me. I don't mean to be negative. Really good game. Not as heavy as I remembered it being. Really quick with two players. I love the tactical aspect. I love that you can't just set yourself up and roll. You have to see what comes up and go, right, I was going that direction, but this time I've got to twink it a little bit and go in a different direction. And it's all very, very quick. You don't have time to to slowly build up and unveil and think about what's going to happen in 20 rounds time. You've got that set, six rounds, boom, and it's done. I see, you're constantly ducking and diving and trying Dodging to make a and waving, bit of rope and hope. A little bit war, a little bit way, <laughs> that sort of thing. Black so, Sonata's brought you back to London, hasn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, La Grande <laughs> is a, it's a fantastic game, and I can't believe Ronan, Ronan didn't make me play it earlier. I think it's a lot of quick enough. It's your fault. It's my fault. Okay, fine. There's another one. Your next one that I'm going to beat you up for not having played before as well, by the way. Okay, but my next game is a little start of two co-ops. And this one is Escape of the Dark Castle. Just signed up by Asmodee to release in North America. Very good. So this is about to get a big push. Yeah. Because it was Steamborn, a UK-based company. And I'd seen this around at cons and stuff and always thought, oh, I fancy a bit of that. But I hadn't. And now I have, inspired by my child. So it's designed by Alex Crispin, Thomas Pike and James Shelton. Themeborn Limited, as I said. So what's the story? The players are playing together. You can play from one to four and you're stuck in a castle, in the dark castle, and you're trying to escape. So you claim one of six different roles. You're basically going to flip through a deck of 15 cards. Now, there are more than 15 cards in the game. And there are, I think, three expansions available. Could be more now. There's been a couple of Kickstarter campaigns. And you're going to flip through 15 cards, which are encounters. And the final card is going to be a boss, which you have to defeat. If anyone dies while you're doing that, then all of you has lost the game. Each card is going to have a different story on it. And you may have to make a choice as to what you do, or maybe you'll just face a challenge. Now, the challenges come as you're going to have to roll dice. There are three different results you can get on the dice. They're cunning and strength and maybe wit. I might say wit. Could be wrong. Okay. Three different things. <laughs> the character you've chosen, each of six characters have got a different weighting on their dice as to what they're good at. And they have doubles of certain things. So the cook has got like double strength on, on certain sides. And they all have a different balance of, of these results and how like they are to pass different challenges. So... When you come to a challenge, you're going to roll your dice and you're looking to get certain results, depending on what the challenge is. And it might require a whole load of results. It might be like a death knight you're fighting and you're going to have to, between you, put in five strength and three cunning on one whip or dexterity or whatever it may be. And it's not something you can do in one turn of roll. So you're going to have to go, right, I'll go in this time, you go out that time. If you're playing with more than one player, instead of rolling, unless it's said to be mandatory on, on the challenge, you can rest and, and recollect one HP. Or you can join in each round and you just keep rolling until someone dies for this card or you get past it, however you have to get past it, and drop dopping in and out as you wish. 
if you do get past it, you're going to earn one equipment card, which is going to help you. You're going to help you manipulate your dice or heal one hit point, And you get hit points depending on how many players you have in your team. And if you make it through to the boss, the boss is obviously going to be a difficult challenge. They're going to constantly wound you each round, like a lot of the other monsters will do. And if you keep your HP and get to the end and beat the boss, you've won the game. And if you don't, you haven't. And it's very simple. And you simply do this on the card, and it takes about 3.5 seconds to teach. And Sean... Escape Ooh. the Dark Castle, if you can. We first heard about this uh, before, well, it was before UK Games Expo and before the, the Essen of that year. The designer, was it Jamie? James Shelton. Shelton, he, I think he did the artwork and it was very much a labour of love for him. He, it's his company, uh, Thinborn Games. And we kind of let it slip by us, I think, at the time. Yeah, it was your fault. That was my fault. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. No idea why, now. but yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> what initially brought me to look at this game, Ronan, was that it was quite brave in its, its black and white. You're taking out the colours. It's quite it's quite a brave choice to do, but it does make it stand out from the crowd. The artwork is really reminiscent of the first printings of the fighting fantasy books. <laughs> Got it written down there. The, but, you know, <laughs> fighting fantasy artwork. <laughs> if you're old enough to remember that back in the day, before they got nice colour artwork on them, and before they were decent printing, they were quite, you know, before they were even green. Remember, yeah, yeah. they're all they're all before they were branded as that. They came out yeah. individual and all that, yeah. And and they it very reminiscent of that. I can only imagine that's Definitely. what he's inspired by. And he's, he's attempting to get that feel off. You flip the page. Okay, you've encountered something. You didn't really have any way of knowing what you were encountering. <laughs> Deal with it. Move on. And he's taken that choose-your-own-adventure idea and taken out the choose and just gone adventure and cut out any nonsense and any messing around and gone, here's a really simple system in which you don't know what's going to happen next. You do have some choices. Certain challenges you're going to maybe choose to run and take the hits and, and just keep going because mm-hmm. you're not suited to, to fight it. Other ones you're going to take on. You have got the luck of dice rolling, but it's mitigated by, to some degree. And while keeping it very, very simple, also updating it and making it very approachable. So, having not played this, I took a leaf out of your book and I went off to Board Game Geek to find some comments. And to be honest with you, the vast majority of ratings and comments are very complimentary it's gen- of me of you yeah that's nice um it's generally getting eight plus in the in the ratings but there was one chap i think it's a chap matty d triple seven okay triple seven yeah. triple seven double seven right. <laughs> didn't like it no no what's, Matt, what's matty got to say about that what's he got so he says i he's, felt a quote coming on there we go quote coming he said he got around to playing it and he says tom vassal was a hundred percent right uh, he that liked, seems very unlikely. <laughs> he liked the art, and the game is, but the game itself is terrible and barely a game. You can see why people like it, because it makes you think there is strategy there. Ultimately, though, it's dice chucking and playing cards that gives you little to decide. The game plays itself with obvious decisions, being the only ones to make. Then he has some clarifications. Go on, Would I, you like to hear them? I look forward to this. No, this is not like Choose Your Own Adventure book. The cards are predetermined. I think I just said that. No, the game has no strategy. Who goes first and who should we fight or should we pass? It's obvious. No, the artwork is not good enough alone to give you the retro game feel. That's regret making you feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, you should not spend <laughs> upwards of $80 to own this. I, I certainly didn't spend that. <laughs> <laughs> and no, this is not a good game. Don't let friends of the designers and those who need this to be higher than a seven trick you into thinking of otherwise. I'll, I'll, pa- I'll go past the other bit. Hold on. Sp- How would I know whether I need it to be higher than a seven? <laughs> I'm going to need some help here. <laughs> he says, he, I'll, I'll quickly glean across the rest of it. He said if he could give it a zero, he would. And... A zero? A zero, he would. He has no idea why it's got an eight rating. And oh, if you if you like it and didn't get the expansions through Kickstarter, I can really see the experience getting dull quickly. I will agree on the last part. <laughs> oh, okay. The uh, fact that you, it probably does need the three expansions, but only because it plays so quickly and it's so accessible and we can throw it down and play it. And it felt like we've had an experience and perhaps even Sean Word Alert Enjoyed the theatre of the game. Oh, how'd you like that? There you go. <laughs> Drop a bit of theatre in there. That we've played it a lot. Yes. Which and and no, it's never challenging in terms of it's challenging to win, especially with lower player counts. It's much easier when you have, when you play with four because people can drop in and out of rounds, and you'll be like, right, I'll take the hit this round. You all rest up, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. way easier then. If you're playing with two, it's actually really hard, I think. Okay. But we feel like we've had an experience and a shared experience, and you flip something over and you start laughing. You go, oh, but that noble's back again. <laughs> Has he not taken the hint? We kicked him four <laughs> times already. Is he going to give us more stuff? And when you flip over the equipment deck, it's usually something rubbish, but every now and then it's something good and you're like actually I want that like, yeah. no, I want it. And, and it's the shared time where something's happening where you don't know what's going to happen next it's unexpected you roll the yeah. dice it's simple I'm not being taxed but I'm not being taxed in a good way it's Ooh. not predictable it's not it doesn't run itself it's not just oh, I know what's happening I know what's happening I know what's happening I don't know what's going to happen and that's what it gives me is it an amazing game do I rate it at 9 or 10 no is it a fun experience that we've shared with all four of us in the family that takes no teaching? You're talking, you're laughing, you don't know what's going to happen next. I'm repeating myself. Do you need it to be higher than a seven? <sighs> I feel like me and Matty need to have a long chat so he can tell me where I've gone wrong in my life. This, I, was, this was triple seven, not double seven. This right? is triple seven. All right, yeah. I'll, just, I'll write that down. Don't, don't, don't go off and... Be shouting at double seven. No, no, he's a, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. He likes Shame about his foot. Okay, a great fun filler. I wrote it down, Sean. I feel like I should say it. Go for it. No, great fun filler. Oh, nicely said. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Okay, so let's move away from Matty D and his hatred for what looks to be actually quite a good game. Yeah, God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. And another one that Roden. This one you've been more banging over my head to play. This one you've been consistently telling me I'm an idiot for not playing and it's ghost stories I, I don't know how you discern why I'm calling you an idiot <laughs> at any particular stage it's you ghost get your stories. Daily WhatsApp sure and these are the four reasons today I'll say it again yeah ghost stories I'm talk over you again how do we podcast <laughs> from Antoine Balza and Repost Production very quickly we have covered it in our show before you are defending a village against the undead ghosts and creatures that are coming in to attack the village. You're moving across a grid of nine spaces, which represent the villagers, and they're going to help you by giving you a special power of which to fight off the creatures. The setting is medieval Japan, and we are ninjas, and we're defending against... I, he's like a necromancer. I can't remember the name. Ronan will remind me. Wu Feng or Lu Feng? Wu Feng, I think. I hope sure. neither of them 
means something else. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Wu Feng. And buried in the in the deck of creatures that are attacking you is Wu Feng himself. When he comes out, you must defeat him before the village gets overrun. And that's how you win the game. You're not going to do that very often. Not at the beginning anyway, are you, Roger? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think myself, Natalie, and a couple of friends we had over, uh, one of them who was desperate to play this game, to the point where I actually gave him the game, he was so desperate to play it, We, I think we set the record for the worst performance ever. I, think I, we got I doubt about, it. I think we got about nine cards in. Yeah, I think I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> My first question is, what took you so long? I think because everyone said it was so hard. I was, I was a bit, oh, God. Look how they were. Yeah, well, yeah, there you go. But... I think what you do have is it's hard to get games that batter you over the head that you actually enjoy playing. Normally, if a game just beats you over the head, you tend to be, oh, you know what, that could have been a good game, but I didn't enjoy it because I don't like being battered. This one it is so enjoyable and it is a puzzle. And as Rona said before, every time you play it, you work out how to play it a little bit better. And it, and you're constantly thinking. I thought well, about this game to a point. To a point, and then you start getting a bit worse. And then you remember <laughs> I, how to play I, a bit I, better. I, I, I and then you dip again. <laughs> I haven't got to that point, but this game made me think about it more than most games. After I'd played, I went I went to bed thinking about this game, thinking, ah, oh, if we'd have done this, and if we'd have used that power a little bit better, and if Natalie had a, she would have the flying over power, she doesn't have to move to each grid, if she'd have come over there and defended that corner a little bit better, and I could have supported her by doing, and that's the things that were worrying through in mind, and that is a sign of a very good game. I think the fact that a lot of these games that people say are too hard, they play up till two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through their script, and then they become impossible. And there's no arc. It's just play, 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 we're dead. With ghost stories, you can lose after nine cards. <laughs> it's, and because it's that hard, I think actually makes it more playable. Because getting to 12 cards is then an achievement. Yes. Rather than getting to the same point of the game every time and losing there, it's, oh, Right, if we can just get to four more cards into the deck, we are getting towards something. We're mm-hmm. achieving something. And it is, you're right, it is unusual. But the puzzle has got enough moving pieces, but few enough moving pieces, that you feel like you've got some control over that. Yeah. It works best two or four players. But it really works best, because two really, because the red dude is lame. Because all he does is move himself or move someone else. His power yes, is rubbish. That's right. Yeah. So no one wants to be the red dude. <laughs> so really it's better with two. And <laughs> someone gets stuck with red. Always me when we play it. Okay, yeah. anyway. But I get green who's got the best power. Right, yeah. Because green doesn't have to roll a cursed dice. That's right, yeah. So green yeah. should always... So you, but you've got the four different colours of ninjas and the ghosts of their own colour must come onto their board no matter whose turn it is, who's drawn it. But you have to use the, the power. So like green should always get the ghost who rolls the cursed dice when he gets defeated. And you should use the powers in the village to swap him across the Green's board mm-hmm. so then Green can kill him and you don't roll. Yeah, there's all little things like that. Obviously, yeah. I'm jumping ahead. Sean's here. I think he's taking notes. <laughs> that, that you get better. Now, what was funny was, this is the same as La Granja, was that I started playing, I played this cup times because Sean brought it up again. It hadn't been out for a while. And when we were playing it previously, now... Natalie and I. Sorry, Sean. Natalie and I played it like <laughs> Rachel and I. <laughs> Have you been ghost storing with my wife again? <laughs> we promised not to talk about it. Rachel and I got to the point where we, we were like 50-50 wins on normal. And we were like, we're pretty good at this game. We, we, we might think about moving on to hard and, and really going for the... And yeah. we, we got out and played it on normal and got 
Mullard. Less than 20 cards in. <laughs> I mean, oh, we've forgotten everything. <laughs> so then we rolled it back to easy and then we played with the girls. And then the problem with that was the girls hadn't played it before. So we're trying not to coach them. We're just yeah. letting them discover. But then it was still fun, but we're sitting there knowing we're doomed. Yeah. Absolutely doomed. There's no like, you know, and it's just little mistakes and little things and not knowing. But they started picking up the tactics and they were like, oh, it cursed ice, hand it to dad, he's got green. Oh, you move that one there and stuff. And it was still enjoyable to see that they were learning it and actually having that perspective of looking back and going mm. and playing with other people. And But obviously now we're anxious for them to get up to where we were <laughs> and us to get up to speed so we can really like, all right, now I feel like we're getting somewhere. But I must have played it over 30 times. I'm still happy playing it. I bought the one expansion space to be good. I think it's the white, well, there's a white one and a black one. The white moon or something like and that. Something like that. Yeah. I bought that. That's supposed to be the better one. So I bought that, put it in the box because we were playing it so much and we didn't play it for two years. Yeah. So we've still got that to explore, but, but a really, really great game. And this is a genuine, I think, old enough and hold up well enough to be called a classic. Yeah, and I think the looks of it don't hurt either. It's a, it's a, yeah, and, a beautiful looking game. They haven't had to update the looks or no, reprint your deluxe version. Or any of it. Look, it looks nice on the yeah, table. It does. So, yes, ghost stories. Lovely. Onwards and upwards, six more games, Sean. Are you feeling it? I'm feeling it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's expand our. Horizon. Oh, I like what you did there. I did. It wasn't very good. It was terrible. They're always bad. Okay. Horizons by Levi Moat, published by Daily Magic Game, is a game in which the players are competitively going to explore star systems. They're going to gather resources from their systems by building infrastructure. And once everyone's built all their infrastructure and got a amount of colonies out, the game's going to end. You're going to add up your victory points and who is going to have won. Who knows? Who does know? Well, I don't know. Do you know? Did you wake up there? Is that what just happened? Did I? You decided to sleep during the rules explanation. On your turn, you're going to choose one of five different actions. Now, there are these stars that are set out at the beginning of the game, depending upon the number of players. There are planets of different types, and they come from a bag, and you draw them out, and they're double-sided, and one of the actions is to draw planets out of the bag and to put them around a star system to create certain patterns or to make certain planets available in certain star systems. Why are you looking to do that? Because your species that you are is going to need to adapt to certain types of these six different types of planets in order to be able to build on them and exploit them. Now, if you play the basic game, you can go on all of them. In the advanced game, you cannot go on certain ones. You're more adapted to others. Some things are cheaper here or more expensive there, so you're looking to manipulate what planets are available. If I'm a fire race, I don't want too many ice planets out, and vice versa. On these different planets, you're going to build. And there's three different things you can build. You can build an energy harvester, a metal harvester, and those are the two resources in the game, or a colony, and they all have different costs depending upon what type of planet you're building them on. Another action you can do is to harvest energy and or metal, and that's simply the number of harvesters you have, depending upon the action that you take, you're gonna take a certain amount of those resources and you're gonna use them to build up your infrastructure again. The last thing you can do is conspire. When you conspire, you can either take allies. Now there are a deck of allies for each of the five different actions, and when you choose to conspire and take an ally, you can take the top face-up ally from a particular deck, and that will then boost that action in future either once or twice, and you choose which how many times you want to use it. And they change them completely, those actions, and make them way more effective or slightly more effective, depending on what ally you've taken and how it works with what infrastructure you've built up. 
The other thing you can do when you can spiral is you can take mission cards, and mission cards will ask you to do particular things in order to score VP during the game. Now, that way of scoring VP will say to you, make sure that a star has got three fire worlds and three jungle worlds around it. Or it will say, make sure that you have three completely unused allies. Or it will say, have at least 10 energy saved up at the end of the game, whatever it might be. And there's for everything that's in the game, there are missions for that, but you can only keep a certain number of them. That's going to be part of your end game scoring. Now, I said the game is going to finish. Everyone has got five of these colonies that are more expensive to build, but are more powerful in the end game scoring because when someone's built five you're then going to do a majority of scoring around each star and your colonies count more than your harvesters but they all count towards majority and whoever's got the most power around the star is going to score a certain number of points whoever second is going to score another certain amount and the last bit as well as those missions and the majority scoring is knowledge is a thing you can gather during the game by doing certain actions and having certain allies they'll give you knowledge for taking particular actions and each knowledge counts as one vp at the end. Sean, start with Horizons, first impressions, very colourful, great production, great quality components. It's what we've come to expect from Daily Magic in terms of production. Yeah, so Daily Magic, um, the, the Valeria series and Sailing Towards Osiris, which are both games that I do enjoy and I have, have enjoyed, and they do have a certain uh, quality in their production. So it's definitely something that, that catches the eye immediately. Now, it seemed to me, having read up a little bit about it, that much going on, it was quite a quick playing game. Did you did you find that? It is quick playing. Each of the actions is usually quite simple, but it's using the allies well that is the key to both adding a bit of spice to it and mm. also playing well and winning the game. Okay. You have to see what allies are coming up, what allies you've taken, because you only have a certain amount at a time, and you use them well. So if you're using the one that turns, for example, metal into energy, then what you want to do is make sure you get loads of metal, and also that you have a use for that energy, so that you, you're creating a production long, or maybe you've got an ally, other ally that turns energy into knowledge, for example, or something like that. And so you're looking to take allies at different times, and that is where any spice comes from. Okay. So... Actually, what you've just said there kind of feeds into the well, the opposite of what uh, Varduk from the Board Game Geek. I like that we're said. calling these people out now. <laughs> no, it's it, it's an interesting quote because uh, some of the things you've just mentioned are, are mentioned in this quote. It's a very short one. Too much downtime when others take their turn, and the ally cards are mismatched. Some are greatly overpowered in comparison to others lose two victory points to destroy an opponent's colony to change metal to gold to too many good alternative games are out there he's right that the allies are really wonky and certain times decks can just die because it's got a rubbish ally on top and no one's going to bother using their action to take that ally because you're stuck with it and you have to use it at least once to get rid of it and put it back to the bottom of the deck so you're kind of then in a standoff going well I'm not going to take that ally, especially when you have more players, because then the other players will get access, possibly, to better allies within that same deck. Mm-hmm. So it can cause that to become moribund. And I'll throw another thing in there, which I think is even wonkier. The missions are vastly wonky. Some of them will give you a handful of points for doing something that you're going to do in the game anyway. Other ones, like trying to get three fire and three ice around a particular star, 
Well, the minute you get two of each out, everyone knows, well, that's clearly your mission. <laughs> they pull out one planet that's not of that type and doink it down. I've never seen anyone do those ones. So the missions also are wonky. Mm-hmm. And it's the whole game is a bit imbalanced. The advanced game helps it a bit in that you have a reason to drive towards certain things, but it doesn't mitigate the fact that it doesn't feel like a smooth playing experience. And the main bit of it is bland, and the bits that add on to it, like the missions and the allies, don't work because of the wonkiness in them. Okay, so would you say it's a fundamental problem, or is it something that maybe house ruling things could, could fix? I don't know that... Why would you go to the bother of, of house ruling it? Because the last thing said, there's plenty of other games out there. This is close. It's lovely. It plays smooth and it's quick. And I want to like it. And it's it's not one to avoid. But the bland base with the wonky fringes mm-hmm. leads you to a thing where you go, this is just hasn't worked on, on either front. It's a near miss both ways, yeah. which means... Well, that's disappointing. I was looking forward to giving that a go, but... Yeah, well, you can't, because I got rid of it already. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, it's not that great, then, eh? Now, Sean, you know that we're supposed to talk about new games and create new content and, and be talking about things that are unexpected to us. I just I think this is three in a row now. I know, yeah, it is. And uh, I think we're, we're going on to four after that. Yes, are we? Well, yeah. Hold on. You're the worst. No, I'm the worst, <laughs> yeah. However... This one we have talked about, and it was talked about in a previous show, but not by you. Good clarification, good hands up clarification there. Was, there. But good. not by you. No. So, me and you have not talked about this or reviewed it. And Ronan has thus far refused to tell me his thoughts on this. Irritating me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just covering, covering my notes. <laughs> So it is Wingspan. I'm sure by... everyone out there has not heard enough about Wingspan. No, not this at all. is going to be quick. We're not going to explain the game. We're just going to go into what no, we're doing. No, about no, it. Designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. They know that. Get into it. Stone by a game. <laughs> they know that as well. Get into it. I think after playing Wingspan a number of times, I've played it three player and I've played it two player, I have decided that it is a super filler. Myself and Natalie can play Wingspan in half an hour, which is the exact perfect time span for it. And we have a lot of fun doing it. The game is thematic. The birds all have make thematic sense. There's nothing new on there. But what you get is a beautifully produced, fun game. And Chris Marling, he doesn't like fun. I see there's a sequel to Pioneer Days coming out, by the way. Is it I Hate Fun Days? It's not designed <laughs> by him. It's just the same company. Oh, really? The same artwork, but it actually says sequel to Pioneer Days. Ooh. <laughs> I need to get his thoughts. Anyway, when you open up Wingspan, not only is it pretty, beautifully produced, and, and a feast for the eyes, mm-hmm. they understand games and gamers. And everything that's pretty in there is functional. And every component is there to make the game easier to teach, easier to learn, and easier to play. Mm-hmm. And the real trick that Stonemaier does is, does that, combines functionality with really good looks. I'm going to diss that TMG again now, I didn't realise I was about to do it. I, I'm going on a tangent, by the way, you ready? <laughs> off, off we go. Okay, I backed Downfall, the deluxe edition from TMG. I thought it looked really interesting, the post-apocalyptic fighty-fighty on Hex's game. Yes, right? yep. And during the course of that campaign, this got upgraded and that upgrade got upgraded and this is better and that's now a plastic component. 
And it turned up, and it is a living mess. It is a disaster. In terms of components, every single individual component has been upgraded, and zero thought has been put into how they work together, to the point where it makes the game unplayably messy almost. Can I jump in yeah. just uh, to sort of lend support to that? Oh, it seems unlikely. <laughs> Crusaders, they will be blood. That we were going to review. Well, that we were going to review. But it's both terrible. Played. It's not terrible. I it like is. it. I think it's a good game. So That's Puri. our review. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like it. He doesn't. Puri likes it, so it's two against No, one. Puri doesn't like it that much. <laughs> no, doesn't he? It's, <laughs> it's waned on him. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, they uh, they did that exact thing. They had the their basic components, which were really nice, and then they upgraded it as the, as the campaign went on. And the upgraded components were worse. They were flimsier. They were harder to handle. They were plastic, and they would knock off the board really easy. So I don't use the upgraded components. I think Tasty Minstrel have just got to think about what they're doing and where they're going with with some of their. It's like they've never played games. Yeah, they made they made more fiddlier and things more fiddlier. More fiddly. Sorry, like your language. No, terrible English. Yes, (laughs) more fiddly components, and that didn't look as nice when the ones they had were beautiful. It just, just didn't make any sense. Exactly the same with Downfall. It's each thing you lay out and go, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Put them together. Oh! Uh! Stonewire is the opposite of this. So let's get away from Tasting Ritual. <laughs> it's not just pretty. It absolutely helps the whole experience. So it is an incredibly charming game. It's a pleasure to get it out and learn it and set it up and handle the eggs and have the little them sit in their little boxes and everything, you know, the little dice tower rolly rolly. Oh, beautiful. It's also a mass market game. Right. There's fun to be had in that box. <laughs> it's a thousand times better than your normal mainstream game. If this is the hit that goes into Waterstones, Barnes & Noble, who got bought by Waterstones apparently. Okay. Seems a bit weird. Uh, Target... As the Tesco, whatever you want to call it, your your big store of choice in your country, I am incredibly happy that that's happening because it, it's such a step up in quality and Stonemire deserve it. It is entirely not for me. That's right. I wrote down I will play and then my next thing was, but I won't seek it out. And then the, my, the next comment as I was trying to sum up was, in fact, maybe I'll hide. <laughs> and someone offers it. Because I played it three times and the family enjoy it as, as like a, a gentle Sunday afternoon experience. We have mm-hmm. our roast dinner, play it, okay. Yeah. But there is not enough. And every game's the same. Despite the variety in, in bird cards, that is just peripheral. It, you're just doing the same thing and building the same engine and paying the same cost to do the same thing. And one game was enough for me. There's a lot of that I probably agree with. And it, it, obviously, the big change is that I would still seek out games of it. It is our filler. It is. We do get this game because, as you said, everything just comes out of the box ready to play. You're there, like the deck of cards, you just flip the lid over and fire some cards onto the lid, which acts as the, the holder for the cards that are in play. Mate, bird, it, it's, it's the business class of dull games. Yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> it goes together really smoothly. It's, it's, on, it's, out, it's playable within seconds. And 
it's just a really nice filler for us to play. I think there is going to be a, a, a ceiling to our enjoyment of the game. I think maybe after 10, 11 plays, we will have seen every bird in there. They don't play that differently. A lot of birds all, are the same. Yeah, all the water birds tend to do the same thing. All the, the birds of prey the, the, the same birds of prey do the same thing. So, yeah, he is going to get to that point. But I, I just appreciate the game for what it is. And as I said, it's a filler. So. It's what level you judge it on. For me, for this podcast... Not great. For a mass market hit and a breakout hit, very good. Okay, let's move on. Okay. 1066, Tears to Many Mothers. It's like my English history uh, episode. Because <laughs> you like a bit of that. It's the Normans versus the Saxons when uh, Robert... Robert? No, not Robert. Harold? No, William. 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 Of Normandy. William and Harold. Yes, yeah, I yes. know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know where you got Robert from. Well, Robert's been causing problems. <laughs> I'm going to fight him on a bridge. Okay, it's where William of Normandy led his, uh, his troops across, uh, contesting the English throne, and the battle was had at Hastings. That doesn't just do the Battle of Hastings in 1066, it does a little bit of the campaign up to some of the. Um, it wasn't in Hastings. <laughs> The battle in battle. In battle. Yeah. I wonder where it got that name from. So, commonly known as the Battle of Hastings. Sorry, Stato over here. Uh, but it's not just that. It's the campaign up to it and the, and Harold's campaign in the north and the march down on Stamford Bridge, which isn't where Chelsea play either, by the way. It's near Rutland. I've been to it. It's a really nice village. Um, and, and all those things going to Westminster getting crowded. All that all that business, if you, if you know it. Anyway, how does it really play? Because we re- we're rambling this. We are you rambling. That? Yeah, we yeah. are rambling. Should I crack on? I think you should. Yeah, I'm tired. Okay. We're rambling about rambling now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so each player, one's going to be the Normans, one's going to be the Saxons. You have a deck of your own specific cards. You're going to play on a board. There are three wedges on this board. Board. When you wish to play a card, you can play it to one of the three wedges. The way you play a card is they all have stats on them. They have them for might and zeal and health and a resource cost and possibly a resource income. If you've got cards already in play that provide resources, you can tap them, wonk them, kajunk them, and they will give you resources. Or you can discard cards from your hand, and every card that you discard, no matter what it is, is going to give you one resource. And that's how you put your units into play as you play them they might interact with each other they might be from the same family or certain cards might affect cavalry or might affect different houses or might affect english longbow whatever it might be the reason you put them into play is that each player has got a deck of objectives they need to work through before they get to the actual battle each of those objectives requires you to fight against either might or zeal so that objective will have let's say a might value of five you'll check how much more might you have than that. Hopefully, if you haven't got more might than whatever it is, then you're not getting anywhere. If you have more might, let's say I had eight, I would be three over, so I put three damage on that objective. Each objective has, in effect, a health value. When you defeat the health value, you're able to move on to the next objective. When you get through them all, you actually get to the Battle of Hastings, and then you can actually start fighting each other. When you get to the Battle of Hastings, if you get there before the other person, you can start slowly doing damage to them and chipping away at them if you both get there you're going to work out each wedge and in each wedge the amount of might that you win by that zeal that you win by you put damage onto the wedge and the first person to put 10 damage on a wedge wins it and if you win two wedges you win the game the two other ways you can win the game is if your opposition player runs out of cards which seems vanishingly unlikely to me but i guess it could happen uh, because you only draw two cards each turn 
And the last thing is you have a leader in play, whether it be William or we'll keep wanting to call them by different names. I don't know why. Or Harold. If they, Dave. Dave, Dave or Bill. Um, no, because Bill is William. It didn't work. No, I didn't. no yeah, let's move on. Um, if they ever get damaged to the point where they die, also you've lost the game. That's the three ways you can lose. And it looks amazing. And it's got all these characters who are real-life characters, and there's an attempt to really thread into the real-life campaign leading up to that, that big battle and invasion. Mm-hmm. And it, the art is to die for, and I love the theme. And it's a two-player card game, and I want to love this game. Well, the art is to die for. We spoke to Tristan before at a UK Games Expo, and I think it was about this and about the gloom of Killforth which is another one of uh, Hall or Nothing games. And it just explained how much work... They, like These are individual cards, individual art for individual cards. Like Every every card like Gloom Kill for a different artwork on and it. And it's not like a, a picture of a wolf with nothing in the background. Yeah, like you get a, these are paintings. Yeah, and they're detailed. Every yeah. card is detailed. All the people look different. Yep. And he, he even said himself, it's cost him a lot of money. It's... it's eaten into his budget but that's what he promised these Kickstarter backers my issue with with not Tristan himself um, but Hall or Nothing they Gloomer Killforth was almost a great game and like you with this one I don't know which way you're going to go with this one Ronan like you with this one and me with this one to a large degree because I, I, I know a lot about that that era of history and like Harold marching down from York and double marching his troops so they were knackered when they got there and all that business I want to like both of those games, but Gloom and Kill Fortress, which I have played, it just didn't. There was something missing. There was that little bit of magic that tied all the movements together. Okay. Any questions about this one? (laughs) (laughs) Is is that the case with this one? Has he managed it? I'm not a great fan of asymmetric play and one against another in a a straight-up battle, but there are games, we've talked about it before, there are games that sort of cross that divide is this one going to be one for me? No. Okay, brilliant. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so I rattle through my issues. Go for it. The resources are far too tight. So yeah. the game, you just cannot get cards out. You just draw two cards each turn. There are very few resource cards in it. When there is a resource card in it, it's going to give you one resource. And there are lots of cards in the decks that lets you kill an opposite unit. So you're clearly going to kill the resource one every time. Mm-hmm. So the game is then very slow. The problem that leads to then is you are very tied to luck off the draw. Because if I pull out a particular card and you're going through your deck so slowly, you cannot counter that particular card. Yeah. You're screwed. Yeah, yeah. All right? So I think the basic recommendation is you draw four, keep two, put two at the bottom of your deck. Mm-hmm. Playing that way helps, but there are more issues than that. For example, there are certain archer cards. When an archer comes into play, you pull it into play, it can sit in the back of your ranks just peppering the opposition leader for one damage every turn. And if the other person doesn't get an anti-archer card, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And it's luck of the draw whether you get it or not. So the drawing the four helps. It doubles your chance of getting it. But also your leader can be five health down before you can do anything about it. Yeah. And you're on a massively on the back foot. What that all ties into is, though, there are things like there's, there's a cousin and a, and a cousin and an uncle of one family and if you get those cards out, they boost each other. Mm-hmm. Three cards in a 70-card deck. Now, anyone who's ever built a deck for Magic or an LCG or a CCG knows that's not how you build a deck. 
because those three cards will never come out together at the right time. You, there's just far too many, for want of a better term, keywords, as Fancy Flight call them, where this ties with this, but it's so specific and it's so few cards. And I get it's very thematic and he's done it for a reason and those particular families liked each other, but it should have been something else. It should have been these 15 cards work together and these 10 cards work together and these 12 cards because they just never work. And, and it's just not worth it. When you first play, you kind of go, oh, great, if I save this fella and his brother comes out, then it's going to be powerful. You know, chances are you're not going to see that brother. Ooh. So there's no clever card play. It's just, what have I got in my hand? What have you got? What can I afford to do? Not a lot. So I'm playing very few cards that don't match in together. I'm not finding any synergies because they're too hard to find. Mm. He needs to simplify the decks in terms of how they interact. Forget, not forget, I hate to say that. Push to one side the historical accuracy in terms of mechanics. Make decks that have a mechanical theme to them and make sense and would work in a competitive LCG, CCG environment whereby this works with that and change with that yeah. and then when I do it I feel clever but I've got different options on how to do it because it doesn't seem like he definitely hasn't done it here yeah. improve the resource system and the progression to battle should not be asymmetric because let's say you never put your any zeal cards out and you get stuck on going to Rowan Cathedral and I do and I get past Westminster Abbey yeah. and I just keep rolling then I'm suddenly at the battlefield before you not your fault I'm just rolling yeah. just rolling yeah. around you will yeah. never catch up with me and yeah. then I've, I've definitely won the game and there are so many mechanical problems that the theming the looks the historical accuracy amazing the game itself not good yeah I mean I don't know Tristan's design process but it almost feels like he's got carried away with the individual art and bringing all these characters from real life into the game. He's kind of overwhelmed the game itself with too many choices and, as you said, lack of synergy because there's too many cards out there. They're all doing different things and it's very hard to get the two or three If you're trying match. to do this, you have to understand how to build a deck in, in one of these games and you have to build the deck, then put the theme on. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way to do it, otherwise it won't work. Build two tight decks that are finding each other. Like, buy 10 sets of magic jewel sets and look and see why they put knights versus dragons and why they put genies versus camels <laughs> or why they put clerics versus demons. What, yeah. what have they done? Why does that work? Why does that individual deck work? How does it work to counter the other deck? And why is that fun? And why is there repeated plays in it? Why is it not too scripted? Start with that then build your decks for this, then add on the theme, and then we're rolling. Because he's bringing out another one, he's bringing out Elmo's Fire. Again, I'm really interested in it, about mm. a 16th century nautical exploration. Not the Rob Lowe and Demi Moore show. No, it wasn't a show, man, it was a film. Was Great it a film. film. Oh. Andrew McCarthy was in that, and I think Andrew McCarthy gets overlooked <laughs> far too often. Was Molly Ringwald in it? A soft-faced beauty. Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson definitely was. Right, okay. Molly Ringwood, I'm not sure. <laughs> Do you want me to look it up? No, don't. Yeah, rest of us, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to IMDb. You carry on. Okay, so, so 1066, Tears for Many Mothers, Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, but not quite. 
Not, not even not even close. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Okay, so this is the continuation of the Ronan is correct episode, and it's <laughs> it's another game that he told me that I should get for for James and the, for family gaming time, and I thought it looked terrible. It's Dodals, designed by Klaus Turber and from Cosmos Games. It looks very clinical, Dodals, but what it is is a game uh, about yes, Emilio Estevez. Yes. No, Molly Ringwald. Oh. Ali Sheedy. Oh, Ali Sheedy, yep, yep, yep. Mayor Wingingham. Andy McDowell. Oh, Andy McDowell, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll keep flicking through so there's no one else. You carry on. Okay. <laughs> Egypt. And <laughs> it's a game where you are crafting... Whip Hubbly. Thanks for that. Crafting shapes out of Play-Doh or Plasticine. And you are all trying to guess what each other has made. Now, the trick to the game is you don't want to be too obvious because you want people to have to have a few questions or a few letters of what you've corrected. Tom Beards. As? Rowdy undergrad. Yeah. Nice. If I was going to be on IMDb once, it would want to be as the Rowdy undergrad. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, back to Dodals. You don't want to be too obvious. (laughs) Kind of like your Dixit thing, you don't want to be too obvious with your clue because you want you want people to have to work to get to it, and you don't want to be too make it too difficult for people. Otherwise, your your points are going to your points are sitting right in the middle of that sort of what's the word? spectrum. Spectrum. Let's go with that. Scale. I was put off by the very clinical look to it. It's it's all grey. I never and, really know what you mean when you say clinical. No, everything's. Very precise about about it. Everything it's, it's grey and everything. It looks like almost like a science experiment. It's not very fun components for a kids game. No, and it doesn't look like kids aren't going to go wow. But my god, when you do play this, they are going to say wow. Are they, James? I think he, I've nearly killed them twice laughing. <laughs> When he's built the, he's made things, and it's come to the end, and we've gone like, what was it? And it'd be just like a, a round lump. Daddy, it's it's a puppy. How is that a puppy? It's got no legs. It's got no face. It's got no tail. But it's got an eye, Daddy. Look, you can see that. It's a puppy eye. <laughs> a puppy eye. And then he just roll around the floor as I get more and more. Why is it? And we have so much fun playing Dodal's Run, and, and he, he's firmly... I hope everyone else is judging your parents. <laughs> we are, he's firmly right at the top of our playlist now, and we, we thoroughly enjoy it. I don't know how many times, you know. <laughs> You're right, yeah. I get how it. many times can I say it? Apparently it was called Barbarossa. Yeah, that was weird. I heard it on Mark Johnson's podcast. Okay. All games to go because he did, went through all the Spiel des Jahres winners and what he thought of them because he's played mm. them all, which is impressive. And he was talking about Barbarossa, and I was, and he described it. I was like, "That's, that's Dodos." Why was it called Barbarossa? Someone asked me a question about it when I posted it on our Twitter feed. Saying, yeah. Oh, is, is, that, yeah. is that is that a re-implementation of Barbarossa? Like, oh. so is it named after the operation to invade Russia by the Nazis <laughs> or the actual Red Beard back in the day? What? What's that theming? <laughs> what is it? It's a tank again. Uh, is it a different type of tank? No, it's the same one as last no, time. No, it's, it's, it's mass murder. <laughs> <laughs> James, that's not mass murder. Yeah, I think I reviewed this in that one episode I did with my kids, did I? Possibly. You, I think you it definitely might talked about it. And you definitely own it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's just there. Look. Yeah, just... Sean's in the room with me. We don't often record in the same no, room. we don't. 
He's down in London oh, Town. It's just there. I kept yeah. it. From my kids' games, Cole, because they're older, I got rid of loads. It stayed. So you know that I love it. It's a great family game. And who knew that Play-Doh was the great human leveller? There you go. Because no one's any good with Play-Doh, <laughs> apart from Rachel, which is incredibly irritating. <laughs> yes, good choice. Dodors, another one to say, come back to it. Now, Sean, you've got a really weird game to finish on. Yeah, a game that I've played half a game of. Should we do that now and then finish on a DC game? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Oh, you want me to do my game first? Right, okay, so challenge of the... No, no, you said you played half a game of your last game. You, you oh, were sorry, talking about my talking, game. Yeah, I was you? talking about your game, Ronan. I, I said half... you've got a really odd game to finish on. I have got a very, very odd game to finish on. Yeah, but this game, my last one, is one that I had high hopes for. I think we both did. You are a big fan of the subject material. I think it's That sounds like to say. you're not. It's the expanse. I, I haven't really explored the subject material. I haven't I haven't finished the first season of the TV program, <sighs> and I haven't read the books. <sighs> so I've only read the first three books, so I'm no expert. And we haven't we've only watched the first two seasons. Okay, because you know it was. But it was what I have seen, I, I, I'm enjoying. Jolly much, good. So. Okay, so it is the expanse. And in the expanse, you're going to be playing as one of the four factions from, as we said, the books or TV show. It's set in a, a relatively, you wouldn't call it near future, I guess. No, but it's not. It's not far super. Away, it's not Star far. Trek. No, it's not Star Trek. You're right. <laughs> in which we have colonised part of the solar system, and it, we've kind of split it into three major factions, being Earth. And then we've got uh, Mars, which was colonised quite a while ago in this in this idea of Mars and Earth are at loggerheads. And also we've got the belt, which is around the asteroid belt, stuff like that, where people are mining for mostly for water and, and uh, around Ceres and larger bodies like God that. Goddamn belters! The LPI! I will do the rest of it in this voice! <laughs> <laughs> I won't! It's really unlink. Okay. What are you doing? No matter what faction you are. The fourth faction, by the way, is a company which I will not go into because it will be spoilers, but it's a, it's a, a mega corporation, should we say. Okay. Jolly good. Right. You happy with that? Yep. Good. Whatever faction you are, you're moving ships around our solar system and there are planets in different areas and you're going to try and place influence and your ships into the orbit of these in order to have the most influence. The actual mechanisms is the coin card system in which there's a lineup of cards, it happens to be five cards, and you can choose a card, and you're either going to use it for action points, which will be listed on there, like Twilight Struggle or, or the coin games, or for an event if you are eligible for the event, because each event has got certain factions it's eligible for. If you use it for action points, the event on that card, whatever the action is, then becomes available to the other eligible factions, and they will be lined up in order of who last took an action, basically. And if the person at the top is eligible and chooses it, they then go to the bottom of the order. However, if they pass up the opportunity in order to keep their place in the pecking line, people further down can choose to take the action from the card. And what they do, basically, is to move ships around and to place cubes. <laughs> they, they pretty much do, or remove cubes, or mess. But, but the mechanisms are all that, of having cubes on planets in order to have the most influence on there. Now, the board is split into three, these three areas, and there are six scoring cards that are seeded into the deck. And each time the scoring card comes out, 
Someone's going to get to choose, when they choose the scoring card, which of the three areas of the board is going to score way more points than the others this turn, and really a, a big difference. And that focus on scoring is going to, should drive where it is exactly that you're concentrating on scoring. You're going to get bonuses for scoring and have most influence on resource-specific planets, and the resources you want are specific to your particular faction. The start is slightly asymmetric, however, as the game goes on through scorings, everyone gets different tech, and you become much more asymmetric as you go throughout the story. And Sean, it's from Jeff Engelstein. Mm -hmm. It's a board game version of The Expanse. Now, the TV series focuses very much on the, I'm not going to say it right, the Rossinanti or the Rockinanti, however you want to say it. And the characters therein, mm -hmm. as a TV show has to be, you have to be with characters and have protagonists and antagonists yeah. and be focused on the human story. But this almost completely ignores that takes a big thematic step back and looks at the political overview. And really, it's a political game, not an adventure game. And it, the card mechanism all drives the political machinations. It feels quite impersonal. Okay, so let's, let's start there. Yes, as somebody who hasn't really... Have definitely haven't read any of the books and has only just sort of dipped my toe in the TV series... I didn't. Yeah, that was the first thing I was expecting to understand right off, right from the off, who who my character was, who I was, and it's it's not that. As you said, it is very impersonal. You are a corporation almost, or a, a faction, and I don't think the game really does much to explain those factions to you and why you're doing things. And that was one of the, the issues I had with my, not even half a game, I had a third of a game of this. So I'm sure you don't take any heed of what I say anyway, but obviously take what I say about why I have played this game with a pinch of salt because I haven't finished it. It wasn't what you expected. No. I feel like maybe, maybe it was building up to be something a little bit more interesting than it started off. So the first portion of the game I wasn't really enjoying. There was no real interaction. Things, we weren't really sort of pushing each other's buttons or getting involved with each other. But I think as that first round finished, I could start to see that actually... Ronan's been very clever here, or Natalie's been very clever there. I'm going to have to form alliances here to get back into the game. If Ronan's sort of dominating that central area, and that's what's going to score next or in the near future, myself and Natalie are maybe going to have to work together. So there was definitely more interest going into that second phase of the game than I had. And I just didn't enjoy the first phase at all. I think it... it demands work to engage with the game you, you have to read all these cards that are coming out constantly there's five cards and they're constantly coming out quite quickly it's not a slow paced game and you have to read them and it still doesn't present what it does thematically on those cards I still had to think about them and go why is that card called that why is it based on that character and then abstract what that character or that mm. instant did within the universe into this abstracted mechanism and go oh okay a lot of them then start to make sense. You go, oh, that's why that's called that, or that's why it's Julie, or that's why it's whoever, right? That work to engage with it. And then the other thing I think also, the fact is, the, the scoring towards the end becomes much more variable than the scoring at the beginning. Yeah. It's going to be a bit flatter at the beginning. It's just opening skirmishes. You're quite set. So you've got an opening half an hour off 
not that much changing on the board. The scoring isn't that important. And a bunch of cards that you've got to read and try and understand what the ramifications are off mm. without having played the game. So the cards themselves. So you, you said that, yeah, that you kind of understood what they were trying to do and how they implicated the game a little bit more as you thought about them. Did it become more interesting? Because I found that what the cards were doing was actually just quite bland. There were small increments here, small increments there. There was nothing, there was nothing exciting about the cards. Uh, I think I said it to you when we were, after we played that a lot of it is more about get someone else to do something for you. Hmm. And the more you can get the other players to take the actions for you to give you a slight advantage or for you not to get hit by bad things, the better off you are. So it is a very political game. As in it's, the open warfare is not going to win you. If you just keep taking action points, keep attacking, you're going to get outmaneuvered by people who are like, oh, look at that. Isn't that a good deal for you? Hmm. Here's a card that you and I can use. If... I use it, it'll be bad for you, for whoever. If you use it, it'll be bad for whoever. I'm going to take it for the action points, knowing you're the only person who can do the event. And I think, yeah, I can see your number three or four in the event list. So it doesn't cost you anything to do it, so why wouldn't you do it? And now you're doing the thing that I want you to do. Mm. And it's more the interaction of the players. Now, I'm defending the game. I've set myself up to defend the game. The game has been streamlined, I believe, I think... And this is just from playing it, I don't know any background knowledge, from its original design for a mainstream audience because the theme got such a big hit from the TV show. Mm. And I think they streamlined a lot of the interest and excitement out of it. It's something that I'm inclined to go along with, but again, based on a third of a game. That was, that was kind of where I was feeling the game was going. I just wasn't interested enough. It's hard to find a group to engage with this. Because it's hard to find a group that look at it and go, well, we're moving cubes around and I give a, a damn who these factions are so therefore I'm going to engage with these cards and I'm going to make it happen. Because the people that want to engage in the cards, you go, it's like a coin game. They're, like, they're expecting way more. And the ones who aren't going to engage with the cards, are not, they're, you know, it's boring to them. So I've, I've found it hard for people to enjoy it. But I have enjoyed it because I've adapted to see how the theme's been used. I want to like it. I can see why people struggle with it. It's definitely not my favourite game, but I have picked up the Doors and Corners expansion, which has got five different modules, which seems to spice it up a little bit more, and I'm hoping it just adds enough to make people interested. But it's a really tough first sell. Mm. It's very hard, I think, for anyone to enjoy their first game of it. But I think that with repeated plays, you'll start to get more out of it. It's whether I'll ever get people to take those repeated plays with me because I can't guarantee it, mm. but I think there's more there. Okay, so I think it's a game that I probably owe a, at least one full play to, to to see if I can see... Four full plays, did you say? Four, four, 15 full plays. Good. And <laughs> so I think I owe a full play, and then I will see, because I don't... If, if it continues along the same trend as it has already for me, then I just won't want to I won't want to get to four or five players. And that's what I'm facing with everyone. Yeah. So I've got to my five plays playing always with a different group. Mm. So now I want to be able to explore the game more, but very few people want to play it again. But that's I think they just don't like you. Well that happens a lot. That does happen a lot. <laughs> okay, so well I will I will endeavour to play it with you and we'll see where we get. I'm holding my breath. Okay. And we're gonna finish off on a very deep we're going to finish off on the first trick taking game that I ever understood so that's why it's in here 
Because I don't understand trick well, It's a bad start already, isn't it? <laughs> it's Challenge of the Super Friends by Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, coming from Cryptozoic. And the game is based around the Justice League, and players are going to take a deck of cards that represent Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Batman, and Robin. And what are you Does Robin to- have their own deck? No, Batman and Robin. Oh, half a deck each. <laughs> half a deck each. And your deck of cards range from one to ten. Ten being the highest number and your highest bid when you're playing when you're playing the card. And you're going to draw three of those cards, and you're going to have three in, three in your hand to begin with. In the middle of the table are going to be super villains, and they're going to have either plus or negative numbers on them, and you're essentially going to be bidding for those cards. If you if you get your minus numbers, then it's obviously going to cost you points. If you get your plus numbers, it's obviously going to give you points. And the twist is that your number 10 card is going to actually punish you in some way. And your number 1 card is going to give you a good bonus and varying degrees throughout your deck. So you're playing a card and one might say... You you don't take a negative this this round or whatever happens or another one might say you switch cards with your opponent so it's, it's all little things like that very simple gameplay very simple trick taking game and then obviously with a theme that I enjoy I enjoy the artwork because it's from an old eighties you enjoy cartoon. that art oh, it's, it's funny Sean. It's, it's, it's Sean I get, it takes me let's back be to honest about that artwork <laughs> it's supposed to be like that though it's terrible. It, it's supposed to be terrible, yeah. It's, it's from an old 80s cartoon. I know where it's from. And it's, yeah, I it like it. It was bad then and it's bad <laughs> now. <laughs> it takes me back to my childhood. It's quite funny. It's quite comedic. It's, it's that bad, it's good. No, it's just that bad. <laughs> I think fans of trick-taking games will probably go, oh, God, that's so basic. But for me, as difficult as I like in my trick-taking games. I, you just need to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I think I couldn't have been less interested in this game. It's a really weird use of theme. And it's a really weird... Like, from that design team, this is what... It just doesn't seem to fit. They've done Fleet and they've done Beat Colony and stuff, and you're like, what, this is... <laughs> the whole thing is so odd. It's, it's like a joke product. Uh, maybe it is a joke product. I'm just not digging how any of this works together. There's, there's not a lot to it, Ronan. It was one that I just, I again, we just enjoy throwing out at the end or the beginning of a night and we just have a little bit of a laugh about it and I'm there to enjoy and have fun playing games. Before I bring something to your attention, maybe you already know about it already, but why have you brought it to the attention of our listeners? What, what was the point you wanted to make on it? Because, again, I think it's an accessible trick-taking game. If, like us, you just don't understand trick-taking games and they just baffle you, I think this is a good starting point for the trick-taking genre. It's been kind of an, an entry-level game yeah. episode. Yeah. Pit. <laughs> recording. <laughs> I don't want to talk about entering your pit. Word. Hard. <laughs> Right, have you seen the relaunch of DC Deck Builder? I have not. With, wait for it, Go on. full co-op mode and some oh. legacy aspects. Oh, well, that's going to be bought, isn't it? <laughs> after uh, that, after those sausages at Fantasy Flight released, I think pretty much oh, everything oh, they released, oh, we, were just, we were just like... Oh. I will say the Marvel LCG that they've announced does look 
for me, a bit simple for an LCG. It's based on Lord of the Rings, isn't it? It's they, based on the engine. People are just saying that, man. <laughs> it's a car, car game. It must be based on Lord of the Rings. Yeah, because there's so much you can do. There's a baddie and you fight and you have your own deck. I mean, yeah. For the minis game, there's the the final hour, Arkham final hour. Uh, have you got Arkham? Didn't Arkham get ruined in your boot? No, some, some lovely gentleman bought me a replacement copy. Yeah, who was that? I don't know. No, he, s- he smelled a lot. Yeah, I, 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 that's what I can remember. <laughs> Walked in with it balanced on his massive head. <laughs> I've taken you away from talking about Challenge of the Super Friends because. Well, no, I'm finished. You know, that was it. It was. It's an entry level trick taking game that I personally enjoy and understand, and it's kind of made me understand trick taking games a little bit better. In which case, that definitely fills a niche. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. There you go. However. That art is so terrible, I still can't bring myself to play it. Ah, it's funny. I'll play it with you, you know I will. Right, we're done with the 12 games. It was lovely to be back in the pit with you. Indeed. We're going to be back shortly now. We said this, and then we disappear for months at a time. But my back is good. Life is good. Everything's ticking. Have you you got anything ticking in Kickstarter? Oh, what did I just back? What did you back, Rowan? I backed something yesterday. I backed that dreamy... Awaken Realms thing. Uh, ether fields or something ether like that. Fields. Yeah. I I sniffed at it a bit. You know what, Ronan? You're going you're gonna to hate me. You're going to throw me out of the house. Go on. I am seriously considering the, the latest Simon. What is it? Oh. Trudvang Legends. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also considering smartphone. Is that, isn't that overpriced? I know everyone's I missed it. Yeah, I missed it at Essen couple of people who, who I know have played it and have actually said it's really good. But game. isn't the price crazy? It's $60 or something. I think it's more. And then you've got to add shipping. But then again, the dollar to the pound at the moment is like $300. pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, smartphone. I, I think it's it's going to be out in shops. So There's also a game by the people, and I can't think of their name, that did 878 Vikings about the space Academy race. Games. Yeah, but God, the, it looks awful. It does look awful, but it sounds very interesting. A basic worker placement, but you have two different types of workers. And You've got launch missions. and If you put your up. administrator in a space, it means the en- no one's engineer can go there because hmm. each space is dual function. Right. So, yeah, yeah or, and equally, if someone puts the engineer yeah, somewhere, they've got, got the queue up well. missions and you like, yeah. get to launch day. And you all that sounds all right. And I did like the look of it. I did like Academy Games. It just, not, I mean, I did. I like the look of the gameplay, but there's not a lot out about the gameplay. I was looking at it at work, don't tell anyone, and you can't <laughs> access Dropbox at work, so I couldn't read the rule book yet. Right, right. And the look of it is It does look terrible. Awful. I, I, tried like to sell it, I tried to sell it to Nat, obviously she's interested in the this space, space and all yeah. that. So I tried to sell it to her, she took one look at it, oh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> Foiled! Yeah, no, I'm going to have to go with her. Do you know, I really wanted to, and then I just couldn't. It just looks too bad. Ooh. Yeah, just... Mm. I had a late pledge for Tainted grail oh did you and i didn't go for it i went for this one instead oh okay okay i i, I made a choice between the two also lord of hell ass update oh yes yeah this is quite funny yeah, go on tell us <laughs> i insist i completed my packet <laughs> thing they insist i haven't so my await for lords of hell ass now 20 months after sean got his copy goes on apparently after september shipping is done they'll reawaken the backer kit for me so then it will get sent out sometime next year. <laughs> You're the best. And equally, talking about Kickstarter long-running sagas, 
Xeno Shift, Dreadmire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seymour finally sent it to me. Mm-hmm. It got blocked by customs and sent back. And I never got a notification. <laughs> so now we're having to resolve what's going on now because I never, it never got to anywhere near my house. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. You're the best. I need, like, I, I swear, Lords of Hellas thing, I filled it out. And I got the email going, no, no, you didn't quite do it. I'm like, but I got the email saying I did, no, no, you didn't. But the, the C1 thing is just, it's beyond a joke now, isn't it? <laughs> have you bought anything exciting recently anything that we're going to look forward to reviewing what have I bought no not really I've uh, had a couple of uh, kickstarters arrive it's a shock I've had Rise to Nobility arrive yes. um, which is the same people who did Robin Hood which uh, you didn't particularly care for I, I, I liked it terrible man <laughs> and I had a game called Bargain Quest which has been picked up by Renegade Games. It doesn't say much these days. Uh, <laughs> <up everything. laughs> and, yeah, that's all about selling wares to adventurers, etc. Uh, werewolves and werewolves. werewolves. Yeah, and werewolves. Yeah, 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 that sort of yeah, thing. That's the one. Lycanthrop slavery. I also, as has been well documented, received my mythic battles plan. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> and after all the abuse... <laughs> Uh, I only came round to my house and saw the ma- admittedly massive stack of. It's about as tall stuff. as I am. He's sitting there going to Rachel. Oh, I've got the stuff. I've got home. I'll never play. I'll never play. That's why I didn't go. That's why I didn't go all in. It's for, I didn't get much in the, in the second run. What arrived? Four big boxes and three small boxes. I forgot what I almost wanted. all the stuff. I think genuinely, this is my only answer to this is. I must have got in one night from the pub and the email came through to confirm your pledge and I just started, oh, that looks good, that looks good and clicked four other things and paid an extra hundred quid. I, 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 don't, I don't remember ordering it. I, sw- I swear I went upgrade pack and like one expansion. I swear to you, I don't know. But I at least have sorted mine and mine is now playable. It's in the two boxes you got originally and two further boxes and it's all sorted out and mine's mostly sorted I got the special sorty box oh, a special sorty box special one <laughs> nice. you can put all the different cards and everything it stores oh. them for you yeah. oh, I didn't yeah. get that yeah had to be special sounds to like a waste of time to me okay <laughs> I got Foothills the two player Snowdonia yes and you've been sniffing it gosh no it, I have to admit he is right that new game smell it reminds me of that in the hotel room at Essen when we're punching each other like, punching each other <laughs> windows <laughs> de-sprewing each other <laughs> de-sprewing <laughs> good de-sprewing never have I ever seen um, even three days later still a good new game smell in Foothills yes. quality product all around there is a quality yes. new game I also got game. Arian yes the, I see it it's in the Omniverse games and Proving Grounds and other I've been getting single player games recently Yes, I, I, I had a sniff at that and then I saw it was, it was a solo game and I stopped. Yeah, and there's a whole thing, it's a story game, but it's not, there's a story book in it. It's actually quite an abstract puzzly game. Yeah. So it's not a story game at all, that's a film. But they they are likely to be coming up soon, as is my long-awaited review of Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth. Oh, I need to play that, I need to play it. Have you got it? I don't have it, that's why oh. I need to play it with you. Okay, we'll crack on with that. And and a million other things. Yeah. Our next episode is planned to be... It is planned to be our best and worst of 2018, and we are hoping to secure a special guest... Mm, hoping is a strong word. 
he might slope in the background. Uh, we might have Matthew Jude with us as a as our third wheel. If not, we'll get someone competent. <laughs> Any other business from you, Sean? Not for me, well. Nope. I think we we need to crack on and play some games we in do. the near future. That is true. I'm off to Northumberland for a week with the family. Some games will be coming. Brilliant stuff. You? Plans? Plans are just to play some of the Kickstarters <laughs> that, <is, laughs> that are frequently yeah. alive. Batman needs more plans. Well, any case, thank you and uh, and thanks for your patience and waiting in that little hiatus we had. But we're, we're back. Well, thank you, Ronan. Thank you, Sean. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go to there and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, you're on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you wish to find us on social media, we have a Facebook page. We are on Twitter at GamePit Podcast, and we also have an Instagram account. To contact us, our email address is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to go along to Board Game Geek, we have a guild there, and we're ready to answer questions whenever, whenever you wish to fire them at us. Thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. <laughs>